interview, Chichi, uh, why don't you come and uh, take a seat? Why don't you give him a big round of applause as he comes? Now, Chichi Obeyera is a doctor and a psychiatrist. Tell us how that happened, Chichi. How did that happen for you? How did you end up in, in psychiatrics work? Morning, Will. Firstly, it's great to be here. It's really inspiring to see the number of people that have come out. Um, and congratulations to the Mind and Soul Foundation for the fantastic work you're doing in this area. So, um, to cut to the chase, my dad is a psychiatrist. So that's the short answer. Did, did you have some therapy about that? <laughs> well, well, the thing is, I guess I had this double stigma. I was raised in a Christian household, and my dad was a psychiatrist. And one of the things I'm sure Rob can attest to, um, and any other um, medics that are in here, is that psychiatry really is... Um, it, it, it draws this stigma within the medical profession. It's not very popular. Uh, and people wonder why you go into it. My dad is probably the most normal person I know. And so there's often this myth that psychiatrists have to be very eccentric or that they're a bit weird or there's something going on. And that just wasn't my experience. So in the same way that I didn't really appreciate why my Christian faith, um, really until I was an adult, might be seen as something different or weird for me, it was really natural that my dad was a psychiatrist. I was interested in what he did. And I wanted to, to go into medicine from a very young age. Um, when I was um, going into medical school, like a lot of young people, I wanted to get some money together uh, before university started. Uh, my first effort was uh, trying to sell double glazing door to door. <laughs> I got bored of that after two days. And uh, my mum suggested, well, why don't you work uh, in the hospital with your dad? So I actually went into a mental health hospital as a healthcare assistant. And it's one of the best jobs I've ever had. I absolutely loved it. Having that opportunity to gain a unique insight into people's lives, helping to support them uh, through quite distressing times. And really throughout medical school, I didn't find anything that was as exciting that got the juices flowing. So... Here I am. If ever there was an advertisement to become a psychiatrist, that is it. Um, Titi, it's, it, it's, you know, I know we've worked together, I know your passion for this, but lots of people involved in psychiatry, psychiatric services, they're under a lot of pressure at the moment. How, how, do, you kind of, how do you personally mitigate the pressure of the work? And, and, and what would you say to other leaders here today who are struggling with the pressure of the modern-day NHS? Yeah, that's, a, that's an understatement. There is huge pressure. Actually, as I was sitting here, um, when the three of you were up here, I was thinking about my own team. And um, to be very frank, morale is quite low at times. And it, things really wax and wane. So there are moments of great joy, and you see people getting better, you get people into the right services, and you really feel that you're helping them. Um, so there's fantastic work that's been done in challenging circumstances. But there is sometimes this spirit of despair and discouragement. And I was sitting there thinking, what I'd really love to say is, can you guys pray for my team? Because um, we're struggling at times. Um, and I think as a Christian in that workplace, uh, it can also um, be quite suffocating because you want to be that beacon. You want to bring some joy. 
Um, sometimes you don't know how to do that. Um, so I'd also love if you could pray for me to, to just find the different ways uh, in which I can uh, try and support my team and, and inspire them and lead them um, with, with some courage as well. Um, I'd say on a personal level, there are some things I draw strength from. Um, so this is my church, and um, I'm part of a connect group, and so uh, I guess I'm really fortunate to have people outside of work that can pray with me, that can give me that support. There are some things that we do um, quite well, uh, I would say, in the NHS, both at a team level uh, and within psychiatry. So um, one of the things uh, I have, I have a junior doctor that I supervise, and for every junior doctor training in psychiatry, they get a week, uh, sorry, an hour a week of supervision with their line manager, i.e. me. Uh, and that's really time not to focus on clinical matters, but to think about the personal development and any challenges they may be facing. Uh, and in my experience, this has been an opportunity to address uh, difficulties around morale, uh, whether uh, interpersonal um, challenges, or whether it clashes with colleagues. Uh, so we do have some of these structures. And we also have this culture of doing that within teams as well. So we have um, spaces, because the work is quite challenging, it's quite busy. We have that space that's set aside to talk through any things that may be challenging people. Um, but in a non-clinical setting. So um, I guess you guys are here today because there may be some things that you want to pick up that you can apply to your churches and your workplaces. That would certainly be something for church leaders. I know that there are often supervision-type structures, but just thinking about the extent to which you're doing that, because um, there's the daily task that one has to focus on, but being able to check in, find out how people are doing, uh, individually and as teams, uh, I think it makes a huge difference. Gigi, I'm very conscious we want to be a very broad and diverse organisation, and yet we still struggle to engage many black or Asian leaders within the context of mental health. It's great to celebrate. Those of you who are here want to acknowledge you being here and celebrate you. You're a leader in the field. How, how can we be more diverse, and how can we engage black and Asian leaders in, in the context of mental health? And are there any specific challenges you'd want to bring? I think it's important to address why that's important. Um, I'm not sure I have the answer necessarily to that question, but the starting point is to understand what the problem is. Um, again, sitting here this morning, there's so many challenges and, and so many opportunities for the church to have a real impact. One of the things that's been um, a personal insight for me is um, not so much now, because I've, I've been in the field for a little while. Uh, certainly as a, as a junior doctor, it was quite striking that being on the wards, and um, right now I work in a community setting, so I work very closely with GPs, but earlier on in my career, I was working on the acute psychiatric wards, so a lot of young psychotic men and a lot of those young psychotic men happen to be black. They're of a similar age group to me. And one can't help but feel um, that whilst there are a number of factors that, that go into it, 
um, we may have been from different um, demographic groups, social de demographic groups. I was on one side of the table, and this other person who was a contemporary of mine, their life had taken a very different path. And there's been a lot of research into this area. Uh, so one of the studies is the ESOP study, which is in Camberwell, looking at why there are higher rates of psychosis young, amongst young black men. Um, and it's thought to be due to marginalization within society. We don't fully understand, but that's generally the theme, because amongst migrant populations, there are higher rates of psychosis. So there's a real need to engage this group of, of young men. Uh, and so I think that's the reason why it's important for um, church leaders within uh, particularly black and uh, ethnic minority communities uh, to be emboldened because the opportunity for the church is to engage people in a slightly different way to how uh, we do as, as mental health professionals. If I can just give one example of that. Um, it was really encouraging. It was about a year ago. I was in a, um, I've done a bit of uh, management within my local area. I was in a management meeting and um, there was a slide that went up and it was looking at a project that was happening in Camden where I work um, and it was engaging barbershops. And I saw a picture, and it was my barbershop that I go to. And I, I went there yesterday, as you can see. Um, so they trained the barbers in mental health first aid. And why, uh, you may ask. For any of you that go to a hair salon or barbers, it's a really colorful environment. It's somewhere that nothing is off limits. The TV may be on, so you'll, you'll talk about sport, politics, Faith in my barber shop, there's often worship music that's on at particular times of the day. I need to go to your barbers, it sounds <laughs> great. Um, so it's a place that people open up, they feel safe. Uh, and so it was felt that the barbers were well equipped to engage young black men uh, in the case of this barber shop, uh, and it's somewhere that they could perhaps see as the first port of call. And so the barber's role was really to signpost these young men, um, to ask them the questions. And it is just showing that uh, degree of uh, interest in people to just try and tap into um, difficulty where you see it. So they, they were equipped to signpost people. And I just think that's something that the church can be doing. Um, so, the Pentecostal church, for example, would be the obvious place that one could think, where are we going to find young black men who are in distress, where are the leaders needed? Um, I think that sort of initiative is something that, that should inspire us within the church. That's so helpful. I mean, we, we obviously represent hundreds of different churches and organizations. I'm, our passion, as you know, is that we represent the kingdom of God, which is you know, is, is as broad as every person, you know, on the earth. And I think as an organisation wanting to sort of say, actually, where are the pockets of need? And for us here in London, seeing the impact of isolation, which Kate already mentioned, ostracisation, hurting communities, you know, saying, actually, what can we, what can we do uh, to transform people's experience? And it's, it's, it's all, I mean, what an incredible initiative. I always tell my barber everything far more than my priest. That might be because I am one. Um, Tell us a bit about um, personal boundaries. Um, you're married to Dolly, you've got two children. We baptised one last week, it was absolutely awesome. 
Tell, tell us a bit about how you switch. I mean, we talk a lot about boundaries in terms of practical things, but, but how do you switch off? One of the challenges I have, this isn't going to turn into like a kind of session, by the way. <laughs> but actually, it's quite, I mean, uh, well, yes. Uh, anyway, um, no, one, one of the challenges I find is, is actually switching off in my head. You know, so I can be physically present, but emotionally absent, particularly when I'm working with people in distress. So their sort of, their distress story becomes kind of a part of my internal narrative as I'm walking away. How do you, how do you work those emotional cognitive boundaries? So I think um, I was talking to my wife about some of this the other day, and um, she knew I was coming to the conference, and one of the things I think that still strikes, and if she was here, she would um, definitely back this up, she's always been struck by how well I'm able to switch off I don't say that to boast, but it's just something that I've been able to do. It's probably becoming a bit harder. Um, about two minutes before um, I got up here, uh, I could feel one of my three phones uh, vibrating. So why do I have three phones? Because I, I try and create boundaries. I've got my personal phone. Um, my NHS phone is at home. It's a Saturday, I shouldn't be called. And the third phone is uh, for my independent practice. Uh, and that's something I've done deliberately because um, when I am on call and it's midnight, I need to know that if the phone's going off, that's my work phone and it's not someone texting me on WhatsApp. So I think it's really important. One of the things I've done is um, create systems for, for maintaining boundaries. Um, it is very challenging. One of the things, um, speaking to my connect group, um, there was a time where, I was, so I host a connect group and I was trying to get everyone out the door because I needed to make a work call. Um, and I actually prayed about it with the group because it was a very challenging discussion with a relative. Um, and everyone was a bit struck um, that I needed to call a relative. It was getting on for 9.30 in the evening. But one of the things um, people don't always appreciate is that it's not just the patient in front of me, it's the whole family system around them uh, that one is trying to support. And it is very difficult because um, people want to speak to you directly uh, and it may be creeping into evenings and weekends um, and one has to um, try and offer that compassion uh, but also keep those boundaries. So. Um, I think just trying to be very honest with people um, and at times being quite firm. So, yes, I am a Christian, but I can also be very firm in, in my approach to people. And um, the danger, which I do see with some of my colleagues, and it's not to criticize them, is that if you're available all of the time, people will call you all of the time. And uh, I find it's really important to have a bit of time with my family and one tries not to disclose too much, but there are times where I will say to people, I'm just not available beyond this time. I don't give my patients my telephone number. I, I do have an email address that they can contact me on, um, but one just has to try and figure out how one approaches uh, one's individual practice. Um, otherwise, you will be constantly bombarded. I think it's more of a challenge um, probably for... Uh, church leadership and the reason for that is that um, 
one of the things we share in common, we're dealing with very, very intimate issues. There's probably more propensity for people to target you specifically with something that may be highly confidential. We have the advantage of working in teams. Um, and so there's the ability to share things. I think one of the things I'd encourage you to do, Will, and other church leaders, you can, you can share information without breaking people's confidence. You don't need to disclose someone's name, their age, their gender, ethnicity. And you could say to, to other church leaders, I've got this situation. Broadly speaking, this is the issue. Do you have any thoughts on how I can deal with it? Because I think part of it is sharing that burden and not being overwhelmed. Another issue around boundaries is identifying when there's a crisis and also acknowledging when that crisis is over. So again, you're gonna have people come to you at their most desperate time. Uh, and it's fair that you, you give a bit more of yourself at that time. It's equally fair that once that crisis is over, um, and of course I'm, I'm simplifying things a bit more, but there, there will be a time in, in a lot of cases where the most acute situation has passed. And it's important to actually acknowledge that and say, we've been speaking every day for the last week. I kind of feel that you're on a, a steadier footing at the moment. Let's push it out to maybe checking in once a week. Now let's talk once a fortnight. So when people are in that safer, firmer place, acknowledging and just being very honest about that, because otherwise we burn out. Chichi, that is gold advice. Even if there hadn't been 400 people here, I would have received that, and that was so helpful to me. Um, I, I would love just to pray. Let's pray for Chichi, shall we? And, and, and maybe just take a moment um, to pray for his team, just as a representation of, of, of leadership today. Jesus, thank you uh, for Chichi. Thank you for what you've placed in him as a psychiatrist, as a consultant, as a leader. And we want to pray, Lord, today that you don't bless the works of his hands. Thank you for him and for the witness that he is. We pray for his team um, in this time of great pressure within the NHS. We pray that morale would rise. Pray that there would be that incredible sense of unity and fellowship amongst them. And pray, Lord, that you would um, continue to do incredible work through Chi-Chi. We, we pray for um, that work that he described within barbershops, particularly reaching young black men across the city. And we ask you, Lord, that you would, um, you would cause that work to flourish. And Father, we do pray you break down uh, walls of hostility, of isolation, segregation. We pray, Lord, that we would um, be one as you have called us to be one. And we pray to use the church uh, to be that great place of welcome and greeting uh, to all people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give Chichi a big round of applause. Thanks so much. Thank you.